Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Good afternoon, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth. Patriots Beat Live podcast here on this Tuesday afternoon, uh, June 1st, a big day in the NFL calendar upcoming in terms of post-June 1 designations, cuts, trades. Now we get into the time of year where these start to save teams cap, salary cap space instead of cost teams salary cap space, Alex. And uh, there's going to be some movement, I, I would expect, uh, over the next week uh, in across the league in a lot of these movements. And, uh, of course, Julio Jones being the biggest name that is most likely to move. We could potentially see at this point Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, now makes the most sense if the trade for those guys would, would happen. But realistically speaking, I'm sure Julio is probably going to be the biggest name if he even does get moved. But the reports this morning that have surfaced around uh, over the last couple of days are that the Falcons are driving a pretty hard bargain at, at the moment for Julio Jones. A first-round pick, maybe a second-round pick, plus an NFL veteran player that they can roster this year. That's a pretty steep asking price for Julio, especially considering his uh, salary cap implications as well. Yeah, but you can't be surprised. This is a team that... I think made it pretty clear during the draft that they're still trying to win right now. Yeah. Right. If this was a team that was ready to shut it down and go into a rebuild, they don't take Kyle Pitts fourth overall. They take a quarterback. They either take Justin Fields uh, or or they take um, Trey 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 Lance off the board. Right. Right. They take a quarterback at four, right, if if they're willing to start to rebuild right now. They're still trying to compete. They're not trading Julio Jones because they want draft capital. They're not trading Julio Jones because he can't play anymore. They're trading Julio Jones because they can't afford to sign their draft picks. At this point, it's basically Julio Jones or Kyle Pitts because of the way they've set themselves up financially. So you'd expect them to be aggressive. You'd expect them to want somebody back who's going to help them win right now because their their window's not huge, right? It's maybe two years. Probably one, maybe two. Matt Ryan's, what, 35, 36 years old? Something like that. So I'm not surprised they're driving a hard bargain, but I think at the end of the day, like I said, they don't have the money. They've signed 10 of their 12 – they still have 10 of their 12 draft picks unsigned. They've only signed two, and they were both late day three picks. They still have to sign Kyle Pitts. They still have to sign most of their top draft picks. So they don't have a choice. They have to trade Julio Jones. I think trading Grady Jarrett is maybe the one other way they could do it. I saw somebody mention that, but – at this point, Jones just makes more sense. So it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. The question is just, you know, who's willing to meet them in the middle? Who's willing to, to, to come up the most? Yeah, I still haven't heard anybody tell me that there any team has a 2022 first-round pick on the table for Julio Jones. Well, right? I so haven't heard think, that offer. Because Diana Rossini reported that there was a first-round pick. You yeah, think that's I, a future? I think it might be a future one because – I haven't heard, I haven't been able to get any confirmation that that's, that there, that's accurate, that there is a 2022 first round pick on the table. We, Bill Belichick touched on it during the draft in one of his, uh, post day press conferences that 2022 draft picks were treated like gold this, this draft cycle, right? It was right. really difficult to move around the board because 
there's just not a lot of uh, teams willing to part with 2022 picks because of the uncertainty of this draft class with the pandemic, not having a combine, not having in-person visits. Those 2022 picks have become extremely valuable. So I just don't see it. I don't see another team willing to move a 2022 first-round pick for Julio. Now, maybe if Green Bay is in on this or Kansas City is in on this and their pick's going to be 31, 32, something like that anyways, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there is something like that on the table, but I don't think so. The, uh, the real question for the Patriots is would you do something like a second-round pick and Sony Michelle and maybe Chase Winovich for Julio Jones. And that sounds like a lot to me, but I don't think a second in Sony is going to get it done. I think it's going to take a little bit more than that. And it does sound like the Falcons would like to get back a player or two that they feel like they can put on their team right away. Right. And that's where the Patriots are in a unique advantage because if there is a team offering a first, whether it's Kansas city or green Bay, like you mentioned, maybe it's right. Seattle was thrown into the mix over the weekend, and they don't have a 2022 first as a part of the Jamal Adams trade, but they have their 2023, and maybe that's where that conversation comes in. If the Patriots want Jones, they're going to have to get creative at that point, and that's where we start talking about Sony Michelle and Nikhil Harry, and you know some people have mentioned Chase Winovich in that conversation with all the edge players that the Patriots drafted. Um, you know, we can we can maybe talk about the cornerbacks, but I think at that point it it becomes a whole a whole another trade where. That's instead of the second, maybe instead of addition to the second. So there there are ways the Patriots can attack this, but if that first round pick, whatever it is, is on the table, whether it's 2022 or 2023, if there's a first round pick on the table, I don't think the Patriots will part with that. I don't think they should part with that for Julio Jones, but if they want him, they're going to have to get creative. Yeah. And, and just to, Clarify and see somebody in the chat talking about cap space in Atlanta. There's always ways to manipulate the cap. The easiest way to get Atlanta caps, you know, cap friendly basically is to trade Julio. But more importantly with Julio, I think Julio wants out of Atlanta. He he's, does. Made, he, he's made that clear. I mean, he, I know Shannon Sharp didn't tell him he was on the air and that, that's a whole sketchy situation, but he made it abundantly clear on that call. He was speaking candidly because he didn't know he was on the air and he made it abundantly clear in that call that he wants out of Atlanta. So whether Atlanta can do it or not with the salary cap is kind of irrelevant at this point. Well, let me add this too, because people talk about, you know, the, the cap isn't real. The cap can be maneuvered and it can, but you can't erase cap space. Cap space is whatever the Einstein's law of whatever matter can only be altered. It can't be created or destroyed, right? Right. You can't destroy cap space. You can move it. And, and yes, they could restructure a bunch of deals and push a bunch of money back and be able to sign all their draft picks and keep Julio Jones. But then that money's getting pushed back three or four years and you're still going to have to deal with it eventually. And I think they're at the point right now where, you know, they are entering a transition. I know I said before that they don't want to rebuild right now. They are going to have to rebuild within the next two or three years. You don't want to have. 10, 20, 30, $40 million in dead cap staring at you when you're trying to rebuild a team. That's not the most efficient way to do it. They're just trying to get out ahead of it. They're trying to rip the Band-Aid off. They're trying to bite the bullet. So, yes, it, it, to say that they have to trade Jones, I guess maybe I was a little strong there. But yeah, it, this, this is the most realistic path for them to do what they want to do. As weird as that sounds, trading a guy as good as Jones is being the realistic option, everything else – 
it just hurt. Trading Julio Jones hurts, hurts him in the short term. He's 32. He's got a lot of money against him immediately. It, it hurts him in the short term. It hurts and helps him in the short term. It only hurts them in the long term to move Jones. Yeah. So they're, they're looking at, you know, long term wise, this is what makes sense. So I think we're both in agreement that a second round pick tacked on with one of these players at the Patriots might not look at as part of their, their shorter long-term window, a Nikhil Harry, a Sony Michelle, maybe even a Chase Winovich, is a deal that we would make. But in reality, do you see this happening, Alex? And who's sort of your favorite at this point? Uh, now that we could really – I have my phone next to me because we could hear about this on the show right now. You know, this be very really, cool. We could Should I get the alarm ready? Yeah, this could happen at any point in time at right now because they've been shopping Julio. Julio's been shopping himself. And th- this trade, they, they know who's out there, nope. right? They know what the, the deal is. They know what the suitors are. So w- what do you kind of feel like is is his eventual landing spot? And uh, do you feel like I do that? I- I'm not really sold that the Patriots are, are going to be in on this at the end. Yeah, I'm sorry I just false started there. I thought I got a Twitter notification. I thought maybe that would have been funny. It was my friend Jonah. Shout out Jonah. Um my favorite's the Titans. It's been the Titans. I said this yeah. on the last show. The reports were that the Titans were out. Now the reports are that they're back in. I think that no team has more to gain by adding Julio Jones and the Titans. Maybe the Packers, but what they'd have to do cap wise to make it work put pushes it back a little bit for me. I think the Tennessee Titans, I I don't think they become the most talented team in the AFC. That's still the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Chiefs have their flaws. They've got a lot of new pieces, especially on the offensive line they have to work out. They also play in a much tougher division. The Titans, to me, with Julio Jones, should finish with the best record in the AFC. I think, you know, if the Patriots had Julio Jones, right, Who who's better than the Patriots right now for sure? The Chiefs, the Titans, the Bills. The yeah. Patriots are kind of in that next tier. They're there with the Colts. They're there with the Ravens, right? Those are three teams that we know for sure. If if the Patriots get Julio Jones, I think that puts them ahead of the Bills, certainly. I think it does definitively. They're probably on par with the Titans. They're still below the Chiefs. If the, the Titans had Julio Jones, that puts them very, very close to the Chiefs for me. Like like the, the, the amount they gain in terms of, I guess, power rankings – it, it's not the, the exact right term, but if you get what I'm saying, like I think the Titans have the most to gain. I think they have the most reason to be aggressive. Uh, obviously, Derrick Henry, we know, is pounding the table for it, and he's a guy that I think has the ear of their front office there. So I'm going to say the Titans. They've been my favorite. I'm going to stick with them. But I, I do have the Patriots second. If the Titans bow out, I think the Patriots have the most to gain and the most reason to be aggressive here. And then I put the Packers third, probably the Chiefs fourth, and then we get into the Colts and the Chargers and the Seahawks and the Niners and all those teams. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be in bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. 
Yeah, so I, I kind of feel like if, I, if I'm going to go favorite, I agree with the Titans. I think Seattle want to, wants to do anything to keep Russell Wilson happy. So <laughs> right. I, I think except, they, except add to their offensive yeah, line. Except, they except don't think it's like block. the draw 25 meme with right. them in the offensive line. Right, but it does kind of feel like if Russ says, I want Julio, Russ and Julio talk, and they're like, we want to play with each other, that that one – the front office is almost pressured into making that deal in Seattle just out of uh, keeping Russell Wilson happy. I, I do also really like the optics of him returning to his old offensive coordinator with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. You know, that that was a huge year, obviously, for the Falcons offense in 2016. Ryan wins the MVP, but Julio was kind of the, the second MVP. Like, sort of, it's kind of like a Devontae Spin mac Jones situation, right? Like, the quarterback won the MVP in that situation. But it does kind of feel like, a reunion with Kyle Shanahan makes a little bit of sense, but uh, I still think if we, if I had to pick it right now, I, I think that Seattle might actually pull this off. Now they don't have the draft picks to do a whole lot there uh, in terms of compensation, but maybe there's some players on their roster that they can send uh, to Atlanta that Atlanta likes. I, I don't know. I just feel like they're going to do pretty much everything in under their power to make Russell Wilson happy to make sure he doesn't want out of Seattle at any point. Well, some of what this comes down to as well, I think, is right. Julio doesn't have a no-trade clause. Right. The Falcons can send him wherever they want. So it's going to kind of like it did with, with Matthew Stafford and in, because in, uh, we, we dealt with it there. So if you remember back to that, it comes down to the Falcons are going to some extent honor what Julio wants because he's just – we debated this on the last show. Arguably the most important player in, in Falcons franchise history. I think it's Michael Vick, but Julio's in the top three, I think. There's no argument there. Yeah. Uh, just because Michael Vick, Matt Ryan, their quarterbacks, et cetera. Uh, that's, not the, that's not the point. How much are the Falcons going to honor what Julio wants? If they let yeah. Julio make the decision, a team like Seattle much, is much more in play. I think a team like the Patriots benefits from Julio having say. If the Falcons just want the best return and this is a huge trade for them and they need to maximize their assets – that to me helps a team like Kansas City. It helps a team like Green Bay that's willing to give up that first round pick. Cause ultimately, I mean, what would you rather have? And we talked about the 2022 picks being so valuable, but would you rather have a first round pick in 2023 or a second round pick in 2022? I'd rather have the first because you get the extra yeah. year of team control, especially coming from the Packers. Who knows what they're going to look and like? Especially in coming from, if you're the Falcons, I know that they're not ready to admit that they're in a rebuild, but I think after this year, when Matt Ryan go, go, they go six and ten with Matt Ryan again. I think they'll be ready for it at that point, and then having that extra pick in 2023 in the first round becomes extremely valuable. Whether they want to use right. it to move around the board or they want to use it as an asset in 2023, right? And with Green Bay, they're, they're going to need to move up to get a quarterback. So right. the more assets Green they Bay's have, first round pick, you're right. What if Aaron? Rodgers isn't the quarterback there next year, right? What if it's Jordan Love and that team is nowhere near as good? You just don't know. So if there's a first-round pick out there for Atlanta, whether it's next year or two years from now, I think you take it. Again, I I don't think that's better than the Patriots. That goes to my point. The great unknown here, the reason to me why this is so hard to project is we don't know how Atlanta is going to honor Julio's wishes. That's what this will ultimately come down to, and we don't know. And by the way, there's an in-between, right? It doesn't have to be Julio picks where he wants to go and Julio has no say. We've seen teams do things where it's like, you know, give us a list of five places you want to go and we're going right. to pick the best offer between the five. Give us a list of three places you want to go, et cetera. So I think it probably ends up being something like that. 
from everything we've heard, the Patriots would be on Julio's shortlist. So again, the more say Julio has, the better for the Patriots. But uh, if you want to project this and you're, you're playing along at home, right? And you're playing GM along at home and you want to try to project this out. The question to ask yourself is how much say do you believe the Atlanta Falcons will let Julio Jones have in his landing spot? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Nobody knows. They, they're very tight-lipped about it, but that's what it's ultimately going to come down to, I think. So, other than Julio Jones, there, we do there have are... a little bit. We do have a little bit of news. Little okay. bit. Okay. Uh, Delaney Walker is flying to San Francisco to work out with the Niners. Okay. So I, I know that that's bit. not. I, I so the, the reason I bring that up is San Francisco's the team in the hunt. Right. And they don't have a ton of cap space, or they, if they're looking elsewhere, do they now know they're out? San Francisco's more been tied from their interest, not Julio's interest, where they may be told, eh, Julio doesn't want to go play with Kyle. He still hates him for 28-3, et cetera, something like that. So, you know, a little bit, but again, this is where, you know, it, it maybe means nothing. It could certainly mean nothing. But let's start putting the pieces together a little bit. Okay, so let, let's talk about some of these other potential post-June 1 trades because it's all eyes on Julio, obviously, but – you know Bill Belichick, he has you looking over here, and maybe he's working on something over there, right? And I mentioned right. Rodgers and Watson. We're not going to get into that. I, I think that's pie-in-the-sky type stuff. Zach Ertz, another name that's probably going to get moved, not to New England, obviously, after their free agency with the Hunter oh. Henry and Johnny Smith. <laughs> you never know. I guess you never know. Buffalo did clear that cap space today with the Stephon Diggs conversion. That seems like a potential landing spot for Zach Hurts. Uh, Daniel Hunter, Landon Collins, Jalen Smith, a couple of other guys that would clear a lot of cap space for their respective teams if they're traded after uh, today. But the name that I wanted to bring up was Trey Flowers in Detroit. The Lions can save $14.3 million against the cap by trading Trey Flowers, who's still under contract for two more years at some big-ticket numbers after this. Dan Campbell is transitioning to a 3-4 defense. Trey Flowers is a 3-4 end or a stand-up outside linebacker. I'm not sure if that's a direct fit. We know that he had some sort of positive relationship with Matt Patricia. Otherwise, he wouldn't have signed in Detroit. They did offer him the most money. That always helps as well. Well, Also, it, it, it was positive when he signed. That yeah, was, that's what, fair. two, three, four years ago. We don't know So the Patriots aren't going to pay him $15 million to play football here in 2021. I think that that's an easy assumption. But what if Trey Flowers, knowing that Bill Belichick can get the most out of him, knowing that, that he's going to have a good season here, restructures his contract to make it a one-year deal, resets his value here in New England next year on a competitive team, and then hits free agency once again to kind of recoup some of the losses of coming out of that deal with Detroit. It makes a lot of sense from the Lions' perspective, salary cap and scheme-wise. We know that Trey Flowers would be successful here with the Patriots under Belichick. I think that this one's one that we should maybe be discussing a little bit more alongside with Julio. Well, this is also where, you know, it being Trey Flowers aside, here's a guy who had decreased usage last year and then ultimately ended up on IR. He had a shoulder injury. Uh, he, he, he had a down year, a relatively down year the year before that. This is, this is where Belichick generally strikes. I don't know the Trey Flowers stock is going to be any lower than it is right now, even at 27 yeah. years old. And I actually thought he was older than that. I can't believe he's only 27. Feels like he's been around forever. So. This is kind of where Belichick would usually strike, and they've made it clear. Bill has made it clear. He's not going to be run on again this year. He is not going to be bullied up front defensively this year like he was last season. I don't think that they can have too many pieces up front. So 
I, in, this was a really good poll by you. You texted me about this before the show and I like dropped what I was doing. Uh, it, it's a really good concept. I think it would make a ton of sense. Uh, I'm all, I'm all in on this and it would be, it would, you know, what would they have to give up becomes the question. But if you're looking at, I don't maybe think like, much because of the salary. Right. And I have to shout right. out Mark Schofield, uh, touchdown wire. He's actually, he wrote a great article today with a bunch of potential trades post June one and Trey Flowers is on the list. And that's sort of what started this for me. So shout out to Mark, friend of the program. That's the one that I, it just looks like it makes sense for all sides, right? Trey Flowers comes back. Maybe, like I said, he reworks that deal so he becomes a free agent again at the end of the year on a one-year contract, kind of bet-on-yourself sort of deal for him here with the Patriots. And the Patriots get another defensive lineman, which I think they could use some more depth on the defensive line, and a guy that they know is going to be really, really good in the scheme. So I I think that that checks all of those boxes for both sides. Does he want to play with Patricia again? He will sign with Patricia in the first place, and I guess maybe how South things went in Detroit soured him potentially on Patricia, but the way that he signed with Patricia in the first place and the fact that he knows that Bill Belichick is going to – he's going to ball out here with Bill, I think it makes a lot of sense. And remember the Patriots a few years ago, they – actually didn't make a pretty good pitch to Trey Flowers to get him to stay here. Uh, right. they, he almost came back, didn't he? Yeah, they bowed out at the end when the Lions got silly with the money, but they did try to keep him. This was not a situation where they said, uh, sorry, you know, thanks for everything, Trey, but see you later. You know, they, they did try to keep him, and uh, I don't know. that This one definitely, when I when I saw Mark write about Trey Flowers, I it, it I like turned on, right, in, in the head and like, huh, yeah, th- this kind of would make sense for everybody. The Patriots could use another defensive lineman. Uh, Trey Flowers could use a big year. The Lions doesn't really make much sense looking at their roster and rebuild. Next year, Trey Flowers' cap hits $23 million in Detroit. I just don't see how that makes much sense for the Lions as they rebuild their roster to be paying somebody that kind of money. It makes a whole lot of sense for everybody. I like that. Yeah, so I – you know, something worth coming, uh, keeping an eye on. And like you said, right, Bill has everybody looking at Julio Jones, then he's going to go out and trade for Trey Flowers. That would yeah. be pretty flexible. Okay, so another piece of news here today, Rex Burkhead signing with the yep. Houston Texans. Uh, uh, bye-bye to TD Rex. How, how did you feel about this news, Alex? And I think what's more important about that is not necessarily um, – what it means for the Texans for us, obviously, but what it means for J.J. Taylor, what it means for Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield here in New England. Right. So first off, I mean, Rex Burkhead's career in New England went, I think, better than anybody could have expected. And, and yeah. A real cornerstone part of, of Dynasty 2.0. I think a guy that uh they they just – the kind of guy they needed to have around to do what they did. And, and he was obviously great. And I'll just share, like, personally, I just want it, it – um when I was working for the Lowell Spinners, summer of 2019, after they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, he came and threw out a first pitch and couldn't have been nicer. Talked to everybody who wanted to talk to him, took pictures of everybody who wanted to take pictures with him, threw a strike for the first pitch. So, um, just a great guy that, you know, New England's losing a good one with him. What it means X's and O's wise, I think, and I wrote about this a little bit uh, on 985thesportshub.com when I was previewing OTAs and we've talked about this a bit on the show. The Patriots like to use a four running back rotation. They, they, really try to have four guys 
all playing at least 15 to 20% of the snaps. And that fourth spot now is obviously wide open. There's plenty of options, but we don't know who it's going to be. Is it going to be J.J. Taylor in his second year? Is Brandon Bolden going to get more run coming back from an opt-out? And there's been years where he's been that fourth guy. It kind of comes in waves, right? They'll use him as a running back a decent amount one year, then not the next year, then they'll go back to it the year after that. And then there's Ramondre Stevenson and obviously Tyler Gaffney too, but he, he seems like more of a camp body. Um, if you're, who's the best player? Who's the best running back? Like if we're talking about Madden ratings or whatever, it's probably JJ Taylor. Liked what he saw. You know, you have to like what you saw from him last year. Certainly strong flashes, a Deion Lewis type. But if you want to fill the role that Rex Burkhead filled, and not just fill his snaps. And that role being a guy who can play on all three downs, who can carry the ball between the tackles and catch the ball and pass protect. Ramondre Stevenson is that guy. As much as he was compared to LeGarrette Blunt during the draft, and those those comparisons are valid, absolutely. But there is an element of Rex Burkhead in his game too, where he's not, like, like the great thing about Rex Burkhead, I don't know that he was amazing at any one thing, but he was good at every single thing. Yeah. There was no weakness in his game. And that's what Ramondre Stevenson projects to. So if they want to fill Rex Burkhead's role and really fill the role and not the snaps, it's Stevenson. But then we get into that conversation where rookie running backs don't play in New England. James White had 14 touches as a rookie, right? Damian Harris didn't play. The only guys who play are first-round picks, Lawrence Maroney, Sony Michelle, and then Stephen Ridley played like a decent amount, but there were a ton of injuries that year. So... Who's going to get that for? And, and maybe it's a free agent. There's still some decent free agent backs. I think Duke Johnson's still out there. He's a guy who could fill Rex's role for sure. So now this becomes the question for how it affects the Patriots. Do they just plug in J.J. Taylor and say we're going to, you know, James White's going to play more snaps or we're going to have Damian Harris play more in the passing game, which I think he can do. Do they do that or do they say, no, we need this kind of player. We're going to break our rule. We're going to go with Stevenson or or Brandon Bolden. That's the question now at the running back position for the Patriots. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, but the Patriots do have a lot of backs, right? And they don't have a lot of backs right now in OTAs, but they're going to have a lot of backs in training camp. And the team was really high, I thought, on J.J. Taylor last year. Every time we talked to Ivan Fears, he was extremely high on J.J. Taylor and basically said, don't look into the fact that he's not playing this year. We have some veterans ahead of him on the roster. We also have that kind of rookie red shirt rule there are most guys unless you're a first round pick like sony or lawrence maroney for the most part you sit as a rookie running right. back with the patriots so he said you know it's just like shane vereen it's just like james white this is no different with jj taylor we have big hopes and aspirations for this player down the road and then Ramondre stevenson is a really interesting player too for them in that role as well so patriots going younger with, with rex burkhead I, I think when he was on the field and there were some durability issues with Rex during his time here. But when he was on the field, he was the most versatile pack the Patriots had on the roster, right? A guy that could run between the tackles, catch it out of the backfield. They could detach him from the formation and flex him out wide in the slot or outside. You know, he caught that hitch on Oswide Duke in uh, Super Bowl 53, was it, against the Rams, right? You know, right. there were so many instances where he was doing different things. He could do a whole lot of different things. And he played on fourth down and in the kicking game a lot, too. So this is really a four-down play for the Patriots. Right. So a lot of kind of holes to fill. And Brandon Bolden comes back from the opt-out. Maybe he takes on some of those snaps on special teams that Rex Burkhead was playing while Ramondre Stevenson kind of develops into that role. I could definitely see that. I think they really like J.J. Taylor, though. He's been... 
getting a ton of work, obviously, in this portion of the offseason program with a, a couple of backs not present, James White, Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris not present right now. So it's been the J.J. Taylor show down there a lot. And he can catch it out of the backfield. He's bursty. He runs well with the ball in his hands. He runs stronger with it and has better contact balance than his size, which suggests a lot like Deion Lewis, as you said. So very, very high on J.J. Taylor. Obviously optimistic about what Ramondre Stevenson could potentially bring to the table. It it did seem like the writing was on the wall for Rex Burkett with those two guys around. So it doesn't surprise me one bit that this is, you know, Rex Burkett didn't have a job here, that he didn't have a role here uh, with the Patriots, and he moves on. Uh, I can totally understand that from the Patriots' perspective. Uh, I find it super interesting, though, that there was a lot of positive kind of feedback from Patriots fans about Rex Burkett seeing him go, and uh, I'm sure the same thing is can be said about the locker room as well. You know, a, a real locker room favorite. A clutch guy came up at some uh, big in some big moments, Obviously scored the game when he touched down in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs at a big 2018 postseason. It's going to be interesting to see if Ramondre Stevenson's ready. You know, are, are they ready to play him? Is he going to be ready to play as a rookie? That That's going to be sort of what decides ultimately how this all shakes out because Ramondre Stevenson has the potential to be a Rex Burkhead and play on all four downs as well. Right. I don't know if you can expect that out of a rookie, though. That might be a little bit too much. And that's what it comes down to. And I don't think Stevenson, or he wasn't at the first, o- the first public OCA practice, right? I, I don't think he was there. So, um, we know he was at, at the rookie workouts and all that. So we'll see, but he's somebody to keep an eye on because I think, you know, as much as they have that rule that they don't play rookie running backs and part of that is ball security. And that was one of Stevenson's biggest issues at Oklahoma. So he, he has a steep hill to climb, but as much as they have that rule about not playing rookie running backs, I do believe they break it if somebody showed them enough. That's kind of how they do business, right? If if you yeah. earn the opportunity, they will give you the opportunity. So I think there is a tremendous opportunity here for Ramondre Stevenson. It, you know, if he can't earn I, – I, again, I think he has a long way to go. If he can't earn those snaps, it's not an indictment against him. I think it's an uphill battle, but he has a chance to do something here if he has a really, really strong camp. I agree. It's going to be an interesting position to look at because you have – Sony Michelle is potentially – Damon Harris could be pushing Sonny Michelle completely off the roster. He could be involved in a trade at some point. Damon Harris, James White are kind of put in their roles, right? Damon Harris is that early down back. James White is that pure pass catching back. They don't have the guy that can do it all necessarily unless you put Stevenson or J.J. Taylor out there or Damon Harris kind of takes that next step as a pass catcher. Right. Which, which she could do at Alabama, by the way. Which she, which she could do at Alabama. A little well, bit. Yeah. Sony did it a lot in in college too. So who knows? They, they have guys. I, can we bounce back to something you just said really quick? Because I don't know sure. why I didn't make this connection before, but it's worth bringing up. Um, this does, I think, make it slightly less likely that Sony Michelle's involved in a trade. Because yeah. if you move Sony Michelle, now you're kind of thin at running back at least in terms of NFL experience, right? You, you still have Damian Harris, you still have James White, but then you have J.J. Taylor, who's in his second year, but, you know, didn't really play much as a rookie. Ramondre Stevenson is a rookie. Brandon Bolden has the experience, but he's coming off a year off, and then Gaffney, too. So uh, I, I do wonder if this makes them hold on to Sony Michelle a little bit more, a little bit tighter. Then again, if it's make or break Sony Michelle or Julio Jones, right? right. Maybe Julio Jones, because you're running the ball less too if you get Julio Jones. And like I said before, there's free agent running backs out there, but I do think that, you know, 
maybe if it comes down to, hey, we want Nikhil or Sony, that, you know, this might shift it towards Nikhil becomes more extendable than Sony Michelle does, if it, we weren't there already, which we might have been. Say what you want about Sonny Michel and the fact that he was drafted in the first round, but every single time, and I, I say this a lot, but every single time we talk to Belichick about depth and about having insurance policies, he brings up that uh, the 2018 season and having to play Cordero Patterson at running back. Right. Every single time he, he brings that up and he says, remember back in 2018, we had all these backs in training camp. We thought we were so deep at running back. Everybody gets hurt. We end up having to play a player out of position at running back just to get by during the season. And I think that's something that's haunted Bill for the last couple of years that well, they I don't want even to be, go back. I would even go back to 2015 and see Steven Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. And I think that Bill Belichick could sit there and say, I don't want to have to play Johnny Smith at tailback just because we don't have a running back, right? You know, like, I think that that's potentially could be Dalton something. Keen. That's my, that's my bold prediction. Dalton, Dalton Keen, Keen, sure. You know, I said Johnny because of what he did with the title. No, I, I know. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. You know, I still it, can't it, believe I said that. It just feels like he is Belichick I'm talking about is attached to having that depth and not wanting to give up that depth at that particular position. So whether you think Sony Michelle is anything special, whether you think he's an average or below average running back, Bill Belichick looks at him as somebody that fills a role on this team adequately well, and that's valuable along with Damian Harris as two having two of those guys that can both be that first and second down running back and not having that just be one person's role on the roster exclusively. I, I don't know. I, I, I have a tough time as much as I think agree with you 100% personally that you don't hang on to Sony Michelle and say we're not trading for Julio Jones because we won't part with Sony Michelle. Like that, that just sounds right. ridiculous. It wouldn't be that ridiculous to me if Bill Belichick's like I'm not giving so, up Sony Michelle and a draft pick for Julio Jones because right. I need Sony. It's not about Sony. It's not about Sony Michelle, the player. It's about having the running back, and that—that's what's what's killed the whole conversation with Sony. I think he's more or less been the player he was supposed to be coming out of the draft. I think he's more or less hit his projection. They just drafted him too high. Yeah, and if they had taken him even in the second round, if because I think they had like a high pick in the second round that year, one of the first picks in the second round, if they take him in like the forties or fifties overall, we're talking about what a hit Sony Michelle is. It's just where he was taken that the issue is. Real quick, so like hypothetically, if they did, because there are some interesting free agent running back names, and maybe he thinks, okay, I trade Sony, I pick somebody up. DJ Foster is an interesting name. Okay. And by the way, this list looks like it was updated on Sunday, so if anybody signed. Yesterday, this morning, uh, I apologize. Uh, DJ Foster, Todd Gurley, Devonta Freeman, TJ Yeldon, Adrian Peterson, Duke Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Frank Gore, I thought signed, but he's still a free agent, Bo Scarborough, uh, uh, and that, that's pretty much the end of the list for interesting players. But like, there are some interesting running back yeah, names. Yeah, I mean, Gurley and Freeman are, there. The, are the biggest Names that potentially still have some juice, but those guys are more Scarborough, zone runners. Scarborough really interests me for the Patriots. Scarborough is a power back, you know, kind of like a Legarrette Blunt light. Maybe you could have that conversation. But he uh, went to Alabama. He went to Alabama. He, he go to Alabama, and he doesn't. That that's two huge boxes. So yeah, okay. I'm also All right, I don't hate that group. Right. I wouldn't say Gurley or Freeman for the Patriots. I'm just saying too. you're going to pay Scarborough half, if that, of what you're yeah. going to pay Gurley. And in the Patriots' offense, you're, they're probably going to produce the same. 
Yeah. So. Okay, I don't hate it. It's not a bad list at this time of like, year. If you, right, like, okay, here, here's why I wanted to bring that up. Sony Michelle or Julio Jones and Bo Scarborough is kind of like like that. I think if they're going to make that trade, right. I think that's what that that's what you're looking at, and that's the conversation Bill's having with himself. You know. Uh, Sony Michelle versus Julio Jones and Bo Scarborough, Julio Jones and Todd Gurley, Julio Jones and Duke Johnson in the comment. Um, I, I think we all know what we would do. I think I know what right. most of the people in the chat would do, but we're not the ones making the decisions. Bill is, and I think that's how he's going to ultimately end up looking at it. I, I, it I like you said, the Patriots trading Nikhil Harry along with picks for Julio Jones makes so much more sense to me yes. based off of their track record than trading Sony because I would even argue Winovich would make yeah. more sense than Sony at this point. Yeah, I just feel like they are again. Belichick is extremely attached to not being left playing Johnny Smith. At, at running back or converting somebody else to running back because they have an injury right. to Damian Harris. James White's not really that guy. Ramondre Stevenson's not ready to be that guy. So you're put, end up going into a game uh, a couple of weeks or even, you know, God forbid Damian Harris gets seriously injured. You go into a, a stretch of the season with Brandon Bolden and Johnny Smith as your two running backs, you know, early down right. running backs. I, that's a situation that he just doesn't want to be in anymore. I think he's fed up with it with Steven Jackson. That was a good pull. Did it with Cordero Patterson in 2018. I think he's had enough of that. So I, I could definitely see Sony Michelle being a little bit of a sticking point as much as that, as crazy as that sounds. All right, let, let's talk about some OTAs. Uh, Patriots OTAs on Friday will once again be open to the media. We got to see one practice last week on Thursday. I do want to preface this conversation with saying that some of the things that I've seen come out of that one practice is absolutely bonkers about Mac Jones. Like, it's one practice, guys. Like, let, let's calm down. It's one practice in the middle of May with shorts and T-shirts, no pads, no contact. He's throwing passes against, like, Troy Brown is is out there playing DB, right? Because they right. they they're, the defense is out there doing something else, so they're going uh, you know drills against coaches, coaches playing in the secondary. Uh, there was no eleven on elevens. They're not allowed to do eleven on elevens at this point in the off season. Uh, there were seven on sevens. Uh, Jones made some checkdown passes that were nice. I actually thought though his work in sort of the walkthroughs against coaches or against uh, the uh, offensive players playing defense and sort of like a scout team type of role were more interesting to me than anything that he did in a live seven on seven. There was one drill, and I showed you the clip, Alex. Of uh, they're they're running Haas, they're running Hitch on the outside, Seam on the inside, and the coverage is changing. Right, one play it's man to man, the next play it's a uh, cover two zone, next play it's cover three zone, and they were just trying to make the quarterback see the rotation and make a quick decision with it. And Troy Brown, who was playing outside corner. So again, we're talking about a coach playing outside corner. But although he, Troy Brown did play he, he had at a least it was Troy Brown. Right? Yeah. At least it was Troy Brown and it, it wasn't like Bledsoe. it wasn't like Nick Cayley or something like that, right? Like right. at least it was somebody that's actually played in the NFL before. Uh Troy Brown bailed on the outside in the cover three and overtook the seam. And when he overtook the seam and left the hitch at wide open on the outside, and Mac Jones made that decision like this, right? Like it was split second, saw the rotation, ball comes out, and then he's 
throwing a Devin Asiasi on the hitch, and he throws Asiasi to the outside hip to lead him away from the defender dropping into the uh, into the flat. So just a perfect decision, perfect throw. Then we got into protections, and he's making changes at the line of scrimmage already, right? He sees the blitz coming. He slides the protection left. He resets the mic. They get the, the blitz blocked, and everything looks gravy, and Josh McDaniels looked very happy with that that sequence right. of events, right? So from a, a, a mental standpoint, Mac Jones is checking all the boxes already that we expected him to check. He's not impressive in shorts, and we knew that, right? We knew that coming in. He doesn't look great in shorts. He doesn't have a huge arm, all those types of things. But I think what I did sort of sense from that or see from that is the comparisons to Tom Brady lose me there because Brady is a guy that is more impressive in shorts than you would think, right? He's six foot five, six six. He's well built. He's clearly in shape. You six know, four, two twenty four. I don't know how you don't have that memorized. He, I think he's taller than six four. I, I've said next to him. I think he's taller than six four. Fair he, enough. He's whether he's six four, six five, somewhere around that. When you stand near Brady at a press conference or you see him on the practice field at a training camp, he is a, a bigger dude than Mac Jones. Yeah. No doubt about it. So if I'm going to make a comparison to Mac Jones body type wise, and I'm going to go Hall of Fame quarterback and be ridiculous and compare him to a GOAT, I think he's closer to Drew Brees than he is to Tom Brady. Well, just in so terms of physical stature. The one somebody pointed out, which, which is a good one, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Cause Jimmy Garoppolo is not, was not yeah. an imposing figure by any, like when people said Jones was small, first off, he's standing next to Cam Newton. Like, Let's just put that context There's that, out yeah. there. Okay, this is like you park your smart car next to an 18-wheeler. Or, or not, no, because smart cars, it's like parking a regular car next to an 18-wheeler. Yeah. Of course it's going to look small, obviously. Cam Newton is probably the biggest quarterback in football. It's got to be him or Ben, right? I, I, I don't really think Cam's a linebacker. Else. I mean, he's, he's right. 6'5", 255. Like he's, Cam is as big as Gronk. You know, he, he's right. pretty, you know, that, that's how big we're talking about it. It's crazy. Right. Again, it's him. Although he's built the muscle, Ben's just a fatty, but he's going to look small compared to them. The other thing yeah. is, like you said, Brady was big. We're used to that. Like Brady's size was an advantage. I don't know that Mac Jones, like Drew Brees was small. Was Drew Brees even six feet? I he's I think Mac's a little bit bigger than Drew Brees. Right. But so when I saw him in shorts at OTAs last week, I, he the way that he just carries himself in terms of his stature looked remind me a whole lot of Drew Brees. And and so that, I'm saying that because that's not a problem, right? Drew Brees went on right. and to set the NFL passing record. So I, we're talking about something that is ridiculous, right? Well, you so know? so here's where I push back on the Brees comparison. I would say Brees is. Breeze's height was an actual – it was something he had to overcome. Yeah. He had to change the way he played. He had to adjust because right. of his height. I don't know – and this I, this just comes from me watching him at Alabama. I don't know that Mac Jones' height is necessarily something that you have to game plan around. No, and if, if you're going strictly play. off of how he measured at his pro day, he's very, very close to Jimmy G in terms of right. height, weight. Like that, that, that's that's – if you're going off of what Alabama told you – that's what it is, right? But I, I don't know. It's t- it's tough to tell well, because so, he so, was next to Cam and and Stidham's. Everyone's saying, "Oh, he's smaller than Stidham." Stidham's six three, six four. Stidham's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a bigger dude too. Stidham's so. closer to Brady. Right. Well, so this this is the point I wanted to make. The Saints designed plays to work around Breeze's 
I want to say inability. It wasn't inability, but Breeze's difficulty throwing over the, the middle. His yeah. throwing motion was designed to give him as much air as possible and help him get the ball over the middle. His entire game was designed around his height. I don't know that that's ever, like Matt Jones is never going to have to do that. His yeah. height will never be a hindrance. I think Tom Brady's height was an advantage. The fact that he was as tall as he was, he could see over the line, he could get the ball yeah. over the line. I think if you're a quarterback and you're 6'4 or up, height is an advantage. I think if you're 6 feet or under, it's a disadvantage. I think if you're between 6'1 and 6'3 playing quarterback, especially Jones has kind of longer arms, which help. If you're between 6'1 and 6'3, it's, it, it is what it is. You're not going to be helped by your height. Mac Jones can't use his height to his advantage. Maybe on the quarterback sneak he can. Um, but it's, I don't think it's going to be a disadvantage like it was for a guy like Drew Brees, like it is for a guy like Tua, guys Russell like that, Wilson. who, Russell yeah. Wilson, who have to move around, have to do things differently to get the ball over the line of scrimmage, just see over the line of scrimmage. I don't think Jones is ever going to be in that category. And as long as he's not that, right? Again, Six four, six five, it's an advantage. Six three, you just are what you are. It's just it is what it is. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think it's this is something we talk about in May, right? It's, right. This is yeah. What he looks like in shorts, how this, tall this is. This is a we are having this conversation because we were hoping there would be Julio news by this point. There yeah. isn't, so we have to fill it with trash. That's that's but what I, this conversation is. I also wanna I want to talk about some real stuff too, though, with Matt yeah. Jones and Cam Newton. I think this notion, and look, I have learned over the last year since Cam signed with the Patriots that he has a lot of really dedicated fans, like people that will stand for him until he, he, the day he retires, right? Like, like they, they really do stand for him extremely hard. And I, I think it's almost impressive, but I think it's also jaded to a, a degree as well, right? And, and kind of blinded to a degree. If you think for one second, based off of what we have heard, what we have seen, the fact that Mac Jones is already getting reps in, in OTA practices as the QB2, that this couldn't turn into an actual quarterback competition come August, and you are just blinded by the Cam Newton fandom. Like, this has every chance in the world to be a quarterback competition, and I, I just think there's a there's a line, right? There, there's sort of a middle ground between – Matt Jones is already anointed the starter by some people. He's impressing everybody in the building. Uh, you know, this is amazing, yada, yada. And Cam's a starter no matter what. There's a, there's a middle ground there, but the middle ground does exist that Matt Jones could easily push Cam Newton one training camp comes around, especially if he plays well in those preseason games too. It's going to be hard to keep him off the field. It honestly is if Cam Newton is struggling and Mac is playing well, I think that there's a situation that exists that it could easily be Mac Jones. So the only reason I'll push back on that is I like I think it could be a competition. I do think it could. I don't think it will be because I think Cam Newton's going to be the start of week one. I think Bill's already made up his mind. I think that they're going to want to they don't play rookie running backs. They're not going to play a rookie quarterback, at least not right away. My pushback on that though is that if Cam was and we talked to um we, we we talked to Tim Jenkins about this, right? Right. About Cam setting things up at the line of scrimmage pre-snap and getting blitzes blocked and resetting protections and, and knowing his pre-snap indicators and stuff like that. If Cam was was coming along in that capacity, and maybe he is behind closed doors and we just don't know, but if he was doing all of those things better and he was catching up on all of those things, then then fine, right? But he doesn't do all those things necessarily well. So... 
it's not like the veteran quarterback is miles ahead of the rookie mentally, right? Like maybe he is in terms but of I, I think, but I think the game they, and all that stuff. He's I think they see better. it that way. I think they see right. experience as readiness. I think they equate those two things. So I just don't, you know, I just, I, I, I think it's, it, I, I said this before when we were talking, before Cam's signed, when we were talking about, will they resign Cam? Won't they? I don't believe Bill Belichick can quit Cam Newton. I think if he could, he would have done it last year. I think he's dead set on winning with Cam. I think he sees something in Cam, not what Cam's doing on the field, but I think he sees some upside in Cam that he still believes he can tap into that he thinks is tremendous. And I don't think that's entirely incorrect. I think if you did get even like 70, 80% of 2015 Cam in this offense, it's going to be a top five offense in the NFL. I just don't believe that that Cam is coming back. Whereas I think Bill does. I think Bill still thinks deep down somehow, some way he can get that guy. And the only way to get, like once you can't bench Cam and then go back to him. I don't think that's possible. I think, so I I think he's going to try to, he's going to try to top into, tap into that Cam Newton as much as he can. And when, whenever that's done, then it's Mac Jones's turn. I don't think, I, I think Jones outplaying Newton is irrelevant. In, in in terms of what they think, if Jones outplays Newton, he should be the starter in my mind. In their mind, I don't think Jones playing good. I don't think Jones being impressive is enough. I think Cam also has to prove definitively in their eyes that he can't go back to the guy he was before his foot injury. Cam Newton needs to dominate physically, right? Like he, that's yeah. that's who Cam Newton is. Big arm, athletic player, obviously one of the best running quarterbacks of all time. He needs to be a dominant physical presence to do what he does. And if we get to a point where I see in camp that Cam comes to the line of scrimmage, points out the Mike linebacker, sets the protection, sees the blitz coming, knows where his answer is, makes a quick decision with the football and throws it accurately, and the offense runs the way it's supposed to when things are are snuffed out properly, then I, I don't think that there is a competition. But at the same time, Mac was doing that stuff, granted, in a walkthrough against not live competition, yeah. but Mac was already doing that kind of thing at, at OTAs last week. And it just feels to me like that's just never something that Cam has necessarily had to do in his career because he's just been able to get away with the fact that he's so physically talented and physically superior to other people on the field that when he gets to the line of scrimmage and the slot blitzes, he can just stub, you know, spin out of it or shrug it off or whatever because he's Cam Newton and, you know, throw a dime down the field or run away and, and scramble or whatever to get out of that. What happens when that no longer is as available to him as it once was? And I think at times last year, that's what we saw was the the Superman cam that could spin out of a would-be sack and throw downfield existed in spurts. There was certainly evidence of that happening at times, like the Seattle game, for example. That was something that we saw, right? There was instances right. a little bit later on in the season two where he did spin out of pressure and kind of create something out of that nothing. play against the Jets. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. do stuff like that. So maybe it does still exist in there. But so I, I think – between those flashes, the coaching staff believes that they can get him to a point where he's doing that more regularly. And again, I think once you yeah. bench him, I, I, I just don't think there's going back. How, how is it going to be received all around? 
if you go with Mac Jones and then backtrack back to Cam Newton, because then you're both benching your first round pick. And, you know, I, I can't imagine Cam's going to handle being benched well. And then you got to go back to him. That's a whole other thing. Like, I, I, I think, and I'll, I will give them this in terms of being patient for Mac Jones. I would like to see Mac Jones start week one. I think from everything we've heard, he's the better option right now. But you only get to make that decision once. I don't think there's any back and forth. This isn't, you know, Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles in Chicago last year, right? right. So I'm fine with them being patient because once you make that move, it's done. There's no going back. So make sure you're absolutely committed once you make that move because the only thing worse than sticking with Cam Newton too long in my mind is going with Mac Jones too early, ruining his development and throwing that investment away. Right. So as we get into this, look, I, again, I, I want to reiterate that I do believe this can be a quarterback competition as early as trading camp, but there's two sort of checkpoints that I want to point out on the Patriots schedule that I feel like bode well for Cam to be still the quarterback at that point. The first one is week four against Tampa. I could be wrong. I just don't envision Bill Belichick throwing Mac Jones out there against Tom Brady. I, I just – I don't either. I feel like that's a, it's a death sentence, right? So I, I think that at the very – the earliest I think you see Mac Jones is week five because of that. I think Cam gets yep. the first month because I don't think that they're going to throw Cam out there or a Mac out there against Brady. And then if the Patriots get – destroyed by the Bucks and Brady has his last laugh and whatnot against Tampa, which is, I don't think they'll get destroyed, but it's it's definitely possible they lose that game. They lose that game. That's an easy segue, right? Where we are four weeks into the season. We're we're one and three. We're not where we want to be. We're two and two. We were not where we want to be. We clearly were just overmatched by Tampa Bay. And now is the time for us to turn to Matt. That that's, I think a possibility. The other kind of game to look at is week nine at Carolina. Does Bill Belichick keep Cam in there just so that he can start against his old team? Because that's going to be tough for Cam to come back to Carolina as the backup quarterback. I was surprised. I said it on schedule release night that that game was as late as it was on the schedule for this exact reason. Yeah. It It should have been back-to-back with Tampa. It really should have been. If Bill cares as much about Cam as he has let on in the last year, just in terms of respecting Cam Newton and who he is as a professional and all those types of things, having him go back to Carolina as the backup is, that would sting for Cam, I'm sure. Yeah. So that, that's kind of something that you have to look at and say, if Cam's still here and he's still on the on the depth chart on the roster, I find it extremely hard to believe that Belichick would let make him go back to Carolina as the backup. Now maybe it doesn't matter because Mac is just so much better or or it really is the answer and it's pretty clear and, and that is what it is and and that's life and whatnot. It all could be true, but based off of everything that Bill did for Cam last year, it, I don't know. It just kind of feels like he feels like he owes Cam some solids, right? So again, this is where going back to what I said, I don't think Bill Belichick can quit Cam Newton. I think that between the the talent Newton has shown in the past and what Newton means to the game historically and all of that, I think Bill's just super into it. And the Carolina reunion plays into that. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I again, I, I think we're going to be waiting for Mac Jones. I think there's going to be a storyline at least for two months. I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Mac Jones this year. I w- that's not how I would do it. I think the whole reason Mac Jones was a first-round pick is outside of Lawrence, he was the most NFL-ready quarterback in this draft. I think he was more NFL-ready than Fields. I think he was more NFL-ready than Wilson. I think he was more NFL-ready than Lance. I think he was the ultimate plug-and-play quarterback, right? We talked about this at nauseum. 
The thing with Mac Jones was the floor, not the ceiling. This dude was going to come in right away and be a serviceable NFL quarterback and do that for 10 years. And whatever he did beyond that, it didn't seem likely, but that's what he was going to do. So I think he's a guy you go to right away. I just don't think the Patriots do it because of how they operate. Yeah, it, it is. It does feel like that. It, he has impressed people though, and his it, with his mental acumen, and that's what this time of year is about, right? This time of year is a hundred percent about the learning stage of the off season and and the education stage of the off season and basic install and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. It, Mac has definitely made a good impression. Is it going to be enough? Once training camp comes around and he's in there against, you know, live competition, is he going to be ready for it? I guess we have to wait and see on that. And, and that's sort of where I say, okay, like, let's slow down just a little bit with, with some of the stuff about Mac Jones and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, I'm stalling a little bit here to get to that four o'clock uh, so, buzzer. I, I feel like we'll probably, is it, something, is it, is it four o'clock or is it midnight? Like I've seen, I can't get a straight answer on this. Yeah, so uh Miguel Ben's on Pat's cap. He's been right, what did he say? He's been saying all along that the way that the CBA language is written, it's midnight tonight as soon as I trust as him. As soon as it turns to June second, that's when we can start hearing about a deal. But you can tag a trade at this point as a post June one designation. So the trade I think could come at any minute. But, but would uh, that mean it could have happened this whole time? Yes, it could have happened this whole time. So that that's another interesting part about the Julio thing is that they haven't gotten, at least yet, they haven't gotten the offer that they wanted. Because if they did, then this trade would have been agreed to in principle, similarly to the Jared Goff trade, similarly to the uh, Goff-Matthew Stafford trade, I mean, and uh, the Carson Wentz trade that happened before the league year began in March, you could do something similar with Julio a week ago and say, uh, we're, we're making this trade in principle. It's right. going to be the trade, but we're not going to do it until June 2nd. So, so the only, the, the thing here is like, we're so used to counting down to a trade deadline, right? Where it's like, yeah. okay, everything has to happen by then. This is the opposite of that. Like I, it might not happen. It, it, it might not happen today. It might not happen this week. Like we're opening the window now. I think they'd really have to do it by, I mean, probably by training camp, right? His value starts going down once camp starts and he's not getting those. I guess, you know, with OTAs, I guess it starts going now. The, the more of a, a players in the off season program, the more valuable he is because the more he's, he's getting used to the new system. So, uh, I, that, that's what it comes down to to me. But yeah, I, we might not see anything here in a minute. We might not. I think a lot of people just assume whether it's here at four o'clock or at midnight that we're going to see something right away. I don't know that that's going to be the case. And as we saw for, for this 4 p.m. fake deadline, deadline thing, I just want to go on one like mini rant for a second because I, I, I said that Mac Jones yeah. physically reminded me of Drew Brees. When you say that can, these player comparisons and I say he looks like Drew Brees in shorts, nobody's saying that Mac Jones is going to be as good as Drew Brees. Like I don't understand why when we make these player comparisons, we say their body types are similar or their playing style is similar. And, and everybody don't just, listen, you know that. Right, but everybody just jumps to we're saying that this guy is going to be as good as Randy Moss or this guy is going to be as good as Drew Brees. It's like, no, nobody's saying that. Like, I, I just, I don't understand that whole thing. Like how we can't separate this guy has a similar playing style. This guy has a similar build from this guy's going to have that good of a career in, in the NFL because I made that, that I said he looked like Drew Brees. I, I don't know. It just, it, it just is every single time the draft comes around, this comes up, right? 
And it's just like so funny to me that people can't separate player comparisons from career comparisons, right? Like no, no nobody is saying that any of these guys are going to be as good as the star that we're comparing him to. We're just saying that they have similar body types and they look the same or they play the same style or, or something like that. So whatever. I, I just wanted to mention that so we could get to four o'clock. Uh, I'll, it is, it is four o'clock. It is four o'clock now. And, uh, there's nothing happening. So I think we're saying... Uh, you want to give it a minute? We can give it one more minute. I can kind of set the table for the rest of the week. Um, on Thursday, we are going to talk to assistant coaches, uh, the rare assistant coach availability during the offseason, which I think is really going to be fascinating specifically to talk to Josh McDaniels on Thursday, assuming that he talks, which I, I'm sure he will. We'll see if he tips his hand at all. We'll see how much he's... At, willing to divulge about Mac Jones's progress so far and what he's done so far. But there's probably nobody better at this point to talk to about Mac Jones than McDaniels. So that, that I think is going to be super fascinating to see what he has to say about Mac. So that will be on Thursday. We're obviously talking to all the other position coaches as well. So you'll hear a lot of chatter about young Patriots players, uh, rookies, things like that on Thursday's availability with the coaches. Friday, another open OTA practice, OTA number two, open to the media. That's going to be another interesting practice if Mac Jones can continue to string together the practices that we see as a positive uh, outlook, then this thing is going to start to get really, really interesting. And uh, that's going to be uh, fascinating as well. But um, that, that's going to do it uh, for this episode. And, and we're going Hang to be on. Back- we, we do have a little bit of an update. Okay. All right. So, uh, Bet online just dropped new odds, right? About half an hour okay. before this deadline. So, um, the, should I go top to bottom or bottom to top here? Let's go top to bottom. I like top. All right. So the Seahawks are now the favorite. Okay. So this was, this, this was released at, okay. So at three o'clock. So an hour before the deadline, an hour before the trade can be made, the Seahawks weren't even part of the odds. They weren't even listed, uh, on Friday. Are now the favorites at plus 150. This is, by the way, trade odds. Cause there's two separate odds for Julio Jones. There's where does he play next year, week one, and there's trade odds. The week one odds include the Falcons. These don't. So, uh, Seahawks, if he's traded, Seahawks are the favorites, then the Titans are plus 200, then the Patriots are plus 300, the Ravens are plus 550, the Raiders are plus 900, and then these are all longer odds. The Niners, Packers, Dolphins, Cowboys, Chargers, Colts, Giants, Bills, and the Eagles are plus 280. Those are all the teams that are listed, so about half the league right there. Uh, again, Seahawks, Titans, Patriots are the top three, plus 150, plus 200, plus 300. So I didn't buy the Seattle thing at all. I still don't know that I buy the Seattle thing at all, but apparently I'm in the minority on that. Or there's always that one that – because you got to remember, at the end of the day, Vegas isn't trying to predict where Julio Jones is going to go. They're trying to make money. They may just put Vegas out there as a way. They may know it's not happening and put out low odds as a way to take money from idiots. But I don't, I don't buy the Seattle thing. I think the Titans, obviously, I, I said that they're my favorite. I think the Patriots make sense. I could see the Ravens. Uh, I, I could see the Niners to an extent, the Chargers and the Colts, certainly. I don't see the Seahawks. I, I see the Seahawks because of what I said earlier, right? Like, if Russell Wilson comes in uh, to their front office and uh, and says get Julio Jones or I'm going to be upset, I mean, what do you do, right? Like, what- I think 
I just think because there was the report that the Falcons don't want to trade him to the NFC, and they shouldn't, right? I think if you're the Seahawks, you're not just in the NFC, but you're a, a true contender in the NFC, you're going to have to overpay to get him. And I don't know that Seattle has enough to overpay to get him without that first-round pick this year. So they don't, that's the only pick they're missing. So I wanted to look this up really quickly. That is the only pick they're missing, and they, yeah. have, like, they have the Jets fourth this year from that trade. They they have the picks to make this happen. Like I, I think I I, I they think they would do. need that first because they're an they NFC team. They could trade the first in 2023. I mean, I don't know. I just it just feels to me like they have the they have the picks to make it happen because I really don't think that they're going to get a first round pick for Julio Jones in 2022. It maybe an NFC team has to give up a first round pick to get him based on what we've heard. But we didn't talk about that before, but that's been that, that's been said. They don't but it, the report is they don't want to trade him in the NFC, not just the NFC South. They don't want to trade him in the NFC. I think it takes a first-round pick for an NFC team to get him. And let's go back through those odds real quick here. So the Seahawks are an NFC team. After that, AFC, 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 Niners, Packers, AFC, Cowboys, AFC, AFC till the end. And then the Eagles at the very end. These are all AFC teams they're talking about. They're just – the Seahawks are have been trying – for a while to do something to make Russell Wilson happy. Except to add to the offensive line. Except to add to the offensive line. But that that aside, they've been trying to make Russell Wilson happy. There's nothing better to make a quarterback happy besides protecting him than going out and getting a Julio Jones caliber receiver. And assuming that a first-round pick is not on the table in 2022, they still have their own second. They still have their own third. They still have a fourth from the Jets. They still have their own fourth. So they still have everything besides their first-round pick. They have plenty of assets to make the move. Like, I I just I don't think that it's it, any question of, oh, Seattle doesn't have the picks to make this trade because the Jamal Adams trade, I think, is false. I think they have plenty of, of picks to make this trade happen. Look, I, it, it reminds me of when Tampa came in very late in the odds for Brady. That They came in like that week, like two or three yeah. days before, 48 hours before, something like that. So because Vegas tends to be, you know, they're not always right, but they're they're pretty accurate with this stuff. Um, I just think somebody somebody will give them a 2022 first, I think, ultimately. If Seattle will give them a 2023 first, I think somebody will give them a 2022 first, whether it's the Chiefs or the, or the Packers. And I think especially for an NFC team, they're they're not just going to be able to outbid the competition. They're going to have to do it significantly. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I think the Falcons think they can still win. I think they believe they're in win-now mode. They're trying to capitalize on Matt Ryan's window. You don't do that by making one of the contenders in your own conference better. I don't necessarily disagree, but man, I, the Falcons have to be naive. They got to be naive to think that that team is going anywhere this year, but that's besides the point. Also, uh, you mentioned Tampa Bay coming into the odds late. Um, for they Tom don't Brady. they don't play head to head, by the way, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a different division. They don't play head to head. I know the Falcons' they, they, first preseason game is against the Titans, though, so that could be very interesting. Okay, all right, uh, but uh, first person to tell me that Tom Brady was going to Tampa Bay, do you know who it was? Tom Brady, Mike Petraglia. Oh, that Trags. I'm sure he rubbed it in. Trags when are we having Trags me, on the show? I know, right? We need to get Trags on the show. We miss Trags. Trags told me, I don't know, maybe two or three months uh, right after, uh, right before that came out, he said, you know, I, I spoke to somebody I know down in Tampa, and they they think that Brady is coming to the Bucks, and I was oh, I was shocked. I, don't I couldn't believe it. that. Do we want to do a quick Boston sports moment at a minute at the end? All right, yeah, we can do a quick. We're literally stalling up our our butts right now. Just in case something happens, yeah. Everyone's like, you're just 
stammering on about nothing right now. Yes, we are, because we just want to make sure that we don't sign off and then two seconds later Julio Jones gets traded. Uh, we could do our Boston Sports Minute. Uh, last night that was um, – that stung a, a that whole lot. I don't remember the last time like a non-championship loss hurt that bad. I was so emotionally invested in that game. It did feel like they mounted this comeback. Really early on in the game when Charlie Coyle scored to make it one nothing, I was like, this is a chance to really stomp on the throats, right? Like they can yeah. really, they can end this series basically right here. Uh, you don't see a lot of teams lose to Aliza, though it, ha- it happens more in hockey than maybe any other sport. But once Charlie Coyle scored and it was one nothing, I was like, wow, they're just gonna, they're just gonna r- railroad this team. Like the Islanders have, have no chance. And not only did he score, he dangled like three Islanders to score. So it was That's like, Right, like, you know, I, I was really like, wow, the Bruins are just a much better team. That second period was killer. The Luzon pass was obviously killer. Um, I'm defending Tuka Rask until he's retired from the NHL. That's all I got to say about all of this. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm i a little worried. I am. I think, you know, the Islanders now have a momentum. You, you've been telling me I'm underselling the Islanders. I, I, I said I'd rather play the Penguins. I think the Islanders are a good team. They now have momentum. They now have home ice in the series, right? It becomes the best of five with three games at their barn. So uh Rask, apparently, according to some of the reports, might be dealing with some sort of injury. Don't like that. I mean, I'd be fine if I'd be fi- if Rask is healthy, stick with him. If Rask isn't healthy, go with Swayman. I'd be fine with that. I think Swayman can handle it to an extent. I don't want a unhealthy Tuka Rask in net. And that's not me saying Tuka Rask is a bad player. That's not me being anti-Tuka Rask. If he's limited, I'd rather he not play, even just use, you know, even if he needs a game off. And then you go back to him in game four, whatever it is. But uh I'm, I'm a little worried. I had this as a seven-game series going in, so I guess, you know, we're right on track for what I said. But that was a game the Bruins should have won. They had it right there, and, and they had a, had a rough really- night. Take the series by the horns, right? Like yeah. you're up one nothing at home. They had a real chance to kind of make this not. Hey, a let me put this way: if they if they win that game, I think they win the series going away. I think you break the Islanders' spirits and and they tap out if yeah. you win that game. Now they're reinvigorated. It's uh, I, I I'm, it's I'm a little nervous. I am. I, I'm not necessarily saying I think the Bruins are going to lose. I don't think that. Uh, but you know, it's it's going to be a, it's a real dogfight now. That was a monumental goal. Uh, Celtics are out tonight. Certainly, no. I think we move on from that. I, I'll give my ta- I, I want to give my take on Kyrie stomping on the logo. Okay, I lost right. I lost followers for this tweeting is, this out. This Sunday. is real real stall now. We're Whatever talking about was, Kyrie. Right. Whatever it was, Saturday night, Sunday night. I lost followers for this, but I'll say this: I hate Kyrie stomped on the logo. I'm absolutely with 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 Ke- with uh, Kevin Garnett and Glenn Davis. Right, you don't yeah. want to see that. But here's the thing: at the end of the day, he won. And was it petty? Was it childish? Was it being a sore winner? Yeah. You know how you stop somebody from being a sore winner? You don't let them win. If I, you know, me as a Celtics fan seeing that, what I hope comes out of that is the Celtics see that as a wake up call. Is this guy's been calling us out for two years. He came to our building. He whooped us, scored 39 points and stomped on the logo. It's not why did he do that? It's what did we, you know, if I'm the Celtics, if I'm Danny Ainge, if I'm Wick Grosbeck, what did I do that allowed that situation to present itself? I hope that's a turning point and we look back on that as kind of the low point on this era in Celtics basketball and, and ownership, the front office, the players, they use that to turn this thing around and get to a point where nobody's coming in and stomping on the logo anymore. Also the guy who threw the water bottle, whether he saw Kyrie stomp on the logo or not, absolute a-hole, get him the hell out of Boston. Yeah, that's my take on all of that. 
Celtics Twitter hates me at this point because of all my my negative takes about the Celtics. Your correct takes about the Celtics. Because I, as a as a longtime Celtics fan, longtime season ticket holder, am extremely frustrated by everything that I see from the Celtics year in and year out. And every single year, this year it's Jalen Brown's injury. Uh, the year before that, it's uh, Kemba's not healthy. Miami was the better team, like all, all this garbage of all these reasons constantly of why the Celtics aren't, don't win, right? Why they're right. not advancing further, why they're not a better team. And it's always, oh, just wait till next year when they have everybody healthy or, oh, just wait till Danny Ames trades for this guy or whatever. And it's just never ever happened other than KG, which is such an anomaly that's never going to happen again, right? It's just, it just never happened. And I am just kind of sick and tired of of the letdown. I, I really am. Like every, every single year, like get, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals is is a good season. I'm not saying it's a bad season, but at some point you need to get over that hump. Right, like at at some point you need to go beyond. Like, that shouldn't be the goal. Losing in the Eastern Conference Finals shouldn't be the goal, and it kind of right. feels like that's what it's become. Like my thing with the Celtics is people keep saying, you know, they still got time. Tatum and Brown are young; they're learning, and I don't disagree with that. Not in this league. I well, here's the thing: I think young in the NBA is a very there's a lot of context with that term, and we're going into now that the, you know when this the season ends tonight. We're going to be going into, I believe, Jalen Brown's fifth year and Jason Tatum's fourth. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think it's fifth and fourth for those guys. They may only be 24 and 23, but they're not young anymore. Jalen Brown's been in this league half a decade. Jason Tatum close. Right. Send it. It's time to get, like, this is, we, we are past the young stage to me. We are now into the prime. Start capitalizing it's always on the, the prime the of the future these guys. is so bright. Just right. wait till next year when everybody's healthy. We're in the future now. It's they the take future that now. next step. The young, the young Jays. And I'm not saying they should trade the Jays by any means. I'm worried about the Jays wanting to leave. Like, right. I'm no, worried I, about like, Jason Tatum before they go find it elsewhere. And by the way, we are going to be going into you're Jaylen not Brown. a title contender when your best player is 23. I this is what I'm talking about. Like I hear this all these excuses all the freaking time about. Well, this no, that guy team. agrees with you. It, 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 read the rest of his comments here. You're not a title contender when your best yeah. player is 23. Thank you. Danny should have traded for Harden. That's how you be contender. So, well, Jalen uh. Jalen Brown's going to be 25 next year. He's going to be in his sixth year. That's the thing. Right. Like I looked at 23. And that's objective to me. Is he 23 and and he was drafted at 21, or is he 23 and he was drafted at 18? Because those are two very different kinds of players to me. So, right, those guys, especially Tatum, they came in the league so young. Uh, I think you're close. I think you're getting really close. So I, you know, it, you know how we always make that joke about, I was told in the future there'd be flying cars and all we have is this. I feel like that's kind of the joke with the Celtics right now, right? Yes. We're told crazy. in the future Jason Tatum would be this MVP candidate, Jalen Brown being this great player. But like, Jason Tatum's an MVP candidate, I think, or he will be next year. He's a I great think, player. I, I think Jalen Brown is as good as you can get from a secondary tertiary option. The future is now. Now, now. now capitalize on it. Now don't put Jeff Teague around them and make them do all the work. Give up some of the youth. Give up some of the picks. Capitalize on these guys being not young but in their prime and try to win from there. All right. Now now, now we're losing some viewers, and I think we've solved. <laughs> I just, solved I, I'll wrap here. it up with this on the Celtics. I just – Again, I'm constantly disappointed by the team, whether that's fair or not. I understand they don't have LeBron, they don't have KD, they don't have Kawhi Leonard. I, I get that. But I'm constantly disappointed by the teams just like, we're going to win one round or win a couple rounds and then bow out or last couple of years, you know, bouncing out earlier uh, this year, certainly. Uh, the other thing I'll say, 
this league is one of those leagues where everybody's saying it. The players are in complete control of everything at this point, right? There is no team control over any of these players. So at what point does Giannis or Steph Curry or whoever it is get in Jason Tatum's ear and say, hey, you know, let's team up. Right. Let, Jason let, Tatum let, has to get in Bradley Beal's ear. That's what I've been saying. Sure, sure. Maybe Jason Tatum can attract the player here. That's a that's all that's, well and good. That, that's got to be the dream. But what's the pro? What what happens when it's the other way around, right? And the shoes on the right. other foot. And Jason Tatum comes becomes so frustrated with the lack of success here with the Celtics that Giannis talks him into going to Milwaukee, or Steph talks him into going to Golden State, or whatever the case may be. That's that's always going to be my fear with the Celtics. Again, uh, wrapping this up though. Finally, I don't think we're going to get a Julio trade right this minute, so we can yeah. we can finally <laughs> sign off. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us uh, for these last twenty minutes or so. We we seriously we're we're stalling to see if we can get that trade and also talk a little bit of other Boston sports. But Alex and I will be back on the podcast later on in the week to discuss. Patriots OTAs, everything that happens out there on Friday, we'll get to on the pod as well. So until then, signing off for Alex Parth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. 